So uh, we have come to the end of a three-part series this week on which commonly is known as the Lord's Prayer, but I suggest that we start calling it the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus taught us how to pray. He says, when you pray, pray like this, in this manner. So tonight we will conclude with that, and uh, it's been a great journey. And if you haven't followed with it, it is available on everywhere, uh, on Spotify, on our website. It is available for free, for free. You can get a free subscription to uh, Spotify as well, I think. I don't want to promise you anything, but hey, Okay, cool. So as you know, I die. And Lexit. If I'm dying at Fedensis. Elke ochtend hoor ik die op Fedensis op die radio. And Lexit. Anyway, okay. This is church people. Come on. Come on. Don't distract me. I have an audience here on this side. Cool. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word, your word is a sword. So I do pray that you come and cut us tonight, Lord. Between bone and marrow, Lord, that you teach us how to pray. And Lord, I think it was Andrew Murray that said one day, if you don't know how to pray, you learn how to pray by praying. Lord, teach us how to pray, but then let us pray. Let us pray in this manner. And Father, we thank you for this right now in Jesus' mighty name. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read from verse 9. I didn't ask him to put all the verses up if it's there, but we will focus on verse 12 and verse 13 tonight. But verse 9 reads like this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And last week we looked at, give us this day our daily bread. And, do you guys see that? very important, the little word, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, so that's a wonderful little, so the first three things that we looked at, hallowed be your name, our Father who are in heaven, they kind of lose standing things, but then we conclude with three lines, the give us the daily bread then the next one will be our um, forgive us our debts and then lead us not into temptation. And they are connected with and. And you'll see the next one, and. There's a very good reason why. Why are they connected? This connection speaks as absolute necessary food for the body, forgiveness for the soul, and deliverance from temptation through the Holy Spirit. All three of these things, actually, we combine them. So can you see, it's the body, the spirit, and the soul, each part, because you're a whole being, a triune being, a tripart being, not triune, tripart being, pardon me for that, tripart being, body, spirit, and soul. So it's connecting, these last three things are connected with one another. J.C. Ryle said it this way, and he explains it. We confess that we are sinners and need daily grants of pardon and forgiveness. 
I mean, every single day, I need to come before him and ask for forgiveness. When I go home, I need to go ask for forgiveness for my children because I freaked out in the car just before I came here. But I need to ask for forgiveness. Otherwise, I promise you the Holy Spirit will not move in my life. I will block him. It will stop because I'm not living in a place. I'm living in a place of unforgiveness then and not in a place of forgiveness. This part of the disciples' prayer or the Lord's prayer, as you know it, deserves especially to be remembered. It condemns all self-righteousness and self-justifying. I can't do this. That's why we prayed, our Father who are in heaven, because I'm utterly dependent on Him. I can only do these things because of Him, because I've lifted Him up, because I've adored Him, because I've said, Hosanna in the highest to Him. I can't do these things. I, he, he, he's not, I can't even pray, give me my daily bread, if I've not acknowledged Him first. Can you see these things are interconnected with one another? J.C. Ryle continues, he says, we are instructed here to keep up a continual habit of confession at the throne of grace and a continual habit of seeking mercy every day. It's a habit that we need to form. Every single day I come before him and I say, God, forgive me. Forgive my sin. Lord, forgive my trespass. Lord, forgive that thought that I had towards that person, that hate or malice, whatever it is in my heart, Lord. Forgive me every single day. Why would Jesus mention forgiveness so far down the list, do you think? Of this prayer. And I want to propose this could be the answer. What is the emphasis of the first three topical sentences? What is the emphasis? God the Father, worship, longing for his kingdom, desiring his will. Seeking his provision for our life needs. That is why now we're coming to this point. Here is this point. Here it is. When we see the greatness and the goodness of our Father who are in heaven, how can we mere mortals choose to withhold from others the same forgiveness we have received at the time of our salvation? How can I stop forgiving when he has saved me, a sinner, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I want to say, Paul, I don't know. I think I'm more of a sinner than you. And Jesus could forgive me. How dare I not forgive others? In the light of looking at him, in the light of, of saying, God, you are worthy. Hosanna. Hallowed be your name, God. In the light of that. How much more should we forgive others and accept his forgiveness on a daily basis? For the rest of our lives, we must have his forgiveness for we have wounded the heart of our father by our sins. Ezekiel 6 verse 9, quickly. 
Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive, how I have been broken over the whoring heart that has departed from me, and over the eyes that go whoring after their idols. And they will be loathsome in their own sight for the evils that they have committed for all their abominations. God's heart is broken at our sin. Because that's what we do. We're born into sin. We're not sinners because of of we because we sin. No, no, no. We're born sinners. Each one of us. So tonight, I think the focus here is really that I want to ask you. Please don't sweep your sin including your unforgiveness, under the rug, but put it under the blood of Jesus tonight. Unforgiveness is the number one problem in almost every church today because we don't deal with it. People go and they they leave silently. They quickly slip out the back. Why? Because of unforgiveness. You might be sitting here tonight even. (laughs) Sure. Should we call to the altar now? (laughs) Proverbs 28 verse 13. If you can read that quickly. 13 verse 13, not verse 3. Sorry. Can we get it quickly? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's not out of context. (laughs) But it's a good verse. (laughs) But it's not the one I'm looking for. Proverbs 28, verse 13. It's your Jody. Pressure, pressure. There we go. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Can I read that again? Whoever conceals his sin will not prosper. And that's not dabbing money. Okay. The Bible talks about your soul prospering. I don't think your soul can prosper when you conceal that. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You see, God knows that we should always have debts to own. And therefore, would always need to cry and forgive. Every single day, he knows that. And the word forgive is from two words, basically a combination, apo and himi, afimi. And it basically means to send away. Okay. Apo implies a separation, and himi is put in motion or send. Okay. It means to send from oneself to forsake. To hurl away, to put away, let alone disregard, put off. Okay, that's what it means. That's what it means to forgive. I remember years ago, I was walking on a beach. I think I've told this before. And I was really struggling with with something. I broke up with a girl. It's a long story. There's always a girl involved. And I'm walking on this beach, and uh, I literally felt like the Lord said, pick up a stone. 
And I picked up a stone. He says, hurl it into the ocean. So I threw that thing as hard as I could. You know, when you when you go out this, you know, like, it's like, and the Lord said, go fetch it again. I said, I can't. It's gone. He says, exactly. Exactly. Now that is forgiveness. When you hold that thing as hard as you can back into the ocean, as far as the east is from the west, man. That is forgiveness. You don't know where that stone is. You can go and find it again. You can't go and fetch it again. Nothing. That is true forgiveness. And that's what Jesus did for you and me. He forgave. As far as the east is from the west, he says, your sins are removed from you. It conveys the basic idea of an action which causes separation. It refers to total, total detachment or total separation. In secular Greek, it was initially conveyed the sense of to throw. And in secular writings, we read, let the pot drop. That's what Apimi means. Let it drop. Let it go. Okay. Like I told you two weeks ago. We can break into a Disney song right now. Let it go. Let it go. That's what it is. Don't touch it anymore. Don't entertain that thing. Don't entertain unforgiveness. Just let it go. Here's something interesting. When missionaries in northern Alaska were translating the Bible into the language of the Eskimos, they discovered there was no word in the language for forgiveness. After much patient listening, however, they discovered a word that means not being able to think about it anymore. That word was used throughout the translations to represent forgiveness. Because God's promises to repentant sinners is, I will forgive. That's what Jeremiah 31, 34 says. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God doesn't keep tabs. Neither should we. So what is debts? It means to owe. That which is owed or an obligation that you have, that's a debt which we have incurred, including sins of omission and sins of commission. Now, a sin of omission is a sin committed by willingly not performing an act. Sin of commission is actions performed, like you've done that. You physically have done the sin. The other one you don't know. Since our moral and spiritual debts, we have debt to pay. And the wages of sin, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, is death. That's what sin will cause. I think it's in James that says that when you desire, it says no man can say that he is tempted of God, that when you are led astray by your selfish desires, that is when that thing gives birth. It gives birth to sin. You see, Satan just presents something to you. 
And you choose to do that. You are led astray by your own selfish desires. And then you start sinning. And he says, then sin leads to sin. And then that sin leads to death. Separation from God. Luke uses the word hamartia. Um, and that is sin. It's not a financial debt that we are in with God. It's sin. 1 John 1 verse 9, one of the favorite, my favorite verses in the Bible. If we confess our sins, ye, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful verse that. Beautiful. So when we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we are asking God to forgive our sins according to the same standard we have, we have used in forgiving the sins of others. You see, there are 11 words in the text, but only one of them is important for our purpose. It is the word, the little word, as. Everything hangs on the meaning of that word. In that conjunction that joins the first half of the petition for the second half. When Jesus says, as, he is settling up a comparison between the way we forgive and the way God forgives. See, my standard of forgiveness is totally different than the standard that God's got. Well, I'll forgive you, Mornay, if you forgive me first. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus did. The Bible is very clear that while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for me. And he chose to forgive me. He knew I was going to sin. He knew I was going to transgress. He knew that. But yet Jesus still forgives. Somebody might still throw that thing back in your face as you forgive them. But you need to keep on forgiving them because you need to be like Jesus. And that's this prayer for every disciple. Let us be like Jesus. We need to pray this. How God deal with me as I deal with other people. Deal with me as I have dealt with others. That's really what you're asking. Deal with me as I deal with others, God. You are asking God to give you what you are unwilling to maybe give to someone else. You're asking for forgiveness, but yet you might not want to forgive. So you can't have it both ways. Do you want to experience God's forgiveness? Then you need to forgive. So let us move on to the last few lines of our prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to rephrase it maybe. As we start, Father, I ask you not to bring us into temptation at any point in time. 
I don't want to be in a place of temptation anywhere, anytime. Help me, Lord. Let's quickly read James chapter 1, verse 2, and then we will read verse 12 to 15. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And there's that verse. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, it has a baby, it gives birth to sin. That's the baby, sin. And the sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Temptation. What is temptation? Deliver us. Or lead us not into temptation and deliver, but deliver us from evil. It's a difficult word to understand to most modern believers because when we hear temptation, we think of an inducement to do evil. Like, yeah, 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 something. Eat the apple. Eat the apple. You know? Eat the apple. However, in the Greek perasmos, which this word is, is a morally neutral word which simply describes putting one to the test. That's really what it is. If you look at this word, temptation, it's just putting one to the test. And it refers to actual tests. Tests or trials come and they, some are sent or allowed by God, like we just saw, counted all joy. In order to discover a person's nature or the quality of something. So it's the pressure test. It's the squeeze, the tube test. I can show you a little white tube. I can show you something. But unless I squeeze that tube, I'm not going to know what's inside the tube. Unless there is pressure. It's the same with faith. It's in James that he also says that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So if I sit in the gym, help me go go. Jullie ouders wat so ouders laat gym. Wat betaal word om mense te laat gym. Kom gauwee. Sure. Yeah. See, this is a guy that gyms. He'll, he'll, you can pay him to suffer. Okay. You can. So, 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 if I sat in gym like this on that little bench and I just do this, arm call, with nothing in my hand, am I going to actually exercise that muscle? Not at all. Why not? There's no resistance. There's no resistance. Okay, yo, it's more in there. Yes. <laughs> See, this, I can ask a doctor's opinion as well. You know, we have a doctor here. 
you know? So, so what do I need? I need a resistance. And that's the testing. I think, I think if your faith is not tested, it's not faith. It's presumption most probably. But your faith needs to be tested. So put something in my hand that is heavier, and I need to do arm calls with that thing. And I'm not going to even try and, like, push something up. But push against my hand. See, he's strong. So, <laughs> now, now something's happening. Now, see, how do you bend steel? Did you just saw that? <laughs> okay, are you guys paying for a month for me so we can? Okay. These are my guns. That's all I have to say. Des and Troy. Hey, already I'm married for 16 years. I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay, it's church, guys. It's church. So you need, there's a test. There must be a test. Sometimes God will test you in that sense. There is that toothpaste pressure test. And pressure tests simply bring out what's really on the inside, your character. So it's a good thing. Can you see that? It's not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. But Rasmus then connotes, connotes trouble or something that breaks into you, your peace, your comfort, your joy, your happiness. It comes in. And trials and temptations are like sometimes a crossroad, a moral crossroad that we reach. And I make a decision. I've got to decide whether I want to go left or I want to go right. Okay, since a believer now has a new heart and God's spirit in him, you make a choice not based upon your own understanding, but what the Holy Spirit is leading you. Bible says, walk in the spirit so that you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, when I'm in that situation, I can choose. God gives me a choice. A test, a temptation that is faced in a way that seeks to please our Father is a harmless test. And it's actually beneficial to the saint. But the same test wrongly met becomes a temptation to evil as, as we will see. So either way, you can choose if that's a test now or if it becomes a temptation to you. So, Prerasmus can be translated as tests, trials, or temptations. The context determining whether the intended purpose is for good, tests or trials, or evil, temptation. You can decide. God can send trials, but God's not going to send temptations. Another point to emphasize is that even though God does not tempt us to evil, He does test us and allow us to be tested to bring out the best in us. 
This momentary, the Bible says, affliction is working an eternal weight of glory for us. These things that we go through, somebody dying, struggling with finances, whatever it might be, these are sometimes things that God wants to bring the best out in you. It's not a moment where you sit and you, you're tempted of God now or anything like that. No, 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 my friends. It's how you respond. It's your position. It's your heart's position. How you position before Him. See, our problem is that because of the weakness of our flesh, the old man, you know, Paul says it's that old man has been crucified. But the problem is there is that old man still. We have laid down the old man, signifying it in baptism. We say we're dead. I'm dead. Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. But there's those moments that the old man just comes out. And you need to put that old man down again and again and again in your life. Lead us not into temptation. See, When we refuse to submit to the control of the Holy Spirit, we will make willful, fleshly choices to not consider the test as all joy, and we sin. So Jesus instructs us to pray constantly. Do not lead us or bring us into testing, but deliver us from evil, the evil, which could also mean Satan. I'll show you that now. So if a believer in the power of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, he or she can successfully endure under that trial. On the other hand, if a believer doubts God's goodness and listens to the old nature, to the old man, to the flesh, giving oneself over to its power and disobeying God, that trial has led to sin. See, God allows perasmos, temptations, into our life, not to make us sin, but to make us more like Jesus. Okay. Martin Luther said this, we cannot help being exposed to the assaults of Satan, but we pray that we may not fall and perish under them. I always say to people, if you fall, fall on your knees and pray. Pray this prayer. When we read this prayer, then we are confronted with this question. Are we really expected to pray that God will not do what he must due to accomplish His work within us. After all, even Jesus, um, we are told, was let of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. What then does it mean, lead us not into temptation? And I'm convinced that what He means there is that this is a prayer to be kept from unrecognized temptations. Things that you don't see, they're coming at you. See, if you can recognize something, 
You can nullify that thing. You don't have to go there. You don't have to do it. But sometimes there's these unrecognized temptations that come our way. There's these things that, that so quickly, the Bible says, that, that sin, that weight, that so quickly want to trip you up. That thing. And that's when we need to pray this and ask him, God, lead me not into this the unrecognized temptation. When temptation is recognized as such, it can be resisted. And when we resist, it is always a source of strength and growth in our lives. You see, for two weeks now, I've said that prayer is weakness leaning on God's omnipotence. Because I'm weak. I'm just recognizing through this prayer of my foolish weakness and my tendencies, my bent sometimes towards that, to stumble into these things. So this is what we need to pray. And all three of these things that I said, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All three of these requests, they reflect the one tr great truth that Jesus labors to impress upon us, that we are forever in need, body, soul, and spirit, always dependent on Him, the one that we've just lifted up. Hallowed be your name. Deliver, and I'm done with that. Deliver, this is a beautiful word. It, it means to draw, to drag along the ground. It, it means to draw or snatch to oneself. And it actually means this, to snatch from danger. So I was going to try and find one of the strongest guys here, and then somebody that's light and small. But this is, the, this is the picture. I want to see you, you to see this. Is um, What was that movie, that, that First World War movie where the guy didn't have a gun? He didn't go into the hey, Hacksaw Ridge. You didn't hear it from this pulpit that you could go watch that movie. But this will actually tell you what exactly it means to deliver from evil. These men were shot in battle. And this guy would run in. And go grab somebody and drag them out of the field. That is exactly what Jesus is doing for you and me. To come and drag you and deliver you from evil. He takes you out of that situation that you are in. My friends, if you're stuck in a situation, you feel like you're stuck in that thing. You need deliverance from Jesus. He's the one that's coming into the battlefield and dragging you out of that battlefield. He's the one. It's a wounded soldier on the battlefield. Deliver us from, again, the separation. Drag us out of that. It actually means this, from. It actually says the association 
with evil. Deliver me from means to, I don't even want to associate with evil. It means to remove away from or to put some distance between oneself and evil. What a great promise that Jesus is giving his disciples in this prayer. And why do we not pray this powerful prayer, this petition more often? Lastly, evil. What is evil? It describes an active opposition to good, that which corrupts, causes deterioration or lowering in quality or character, implying a loss of soundness, a loss of purity and integrity. My friends, only a fool would not want to be delivered from such a state. Each one of us, we need to ask God daily, deliver me, drag me out. There's separation between me and evil God. In actual fact, he says, run, run, flee from evil. Run from it. When you see that thing coming, run from it. Because sin will lead to death. See, evil is actively harmful. It's actively hurtful. And sometimes people equate this to the evil one. Deliver us from the evil or the evil one. It could be Satan. But remember that evil comes from three places, three things. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Christian, you, saint, you're like a little boat. You're in the water. Don't let the water get into the boat. Because the world will corrupt you and sink you very quickly. You're in this world, but not of this world, my friends. God's called us to a different standard. And that is what this prayer is all about. It's my utter dependence on Him. That we can say to Him, deliver me, Hosanna, deliver me, God.